We are back with more of Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Bonnie North. It's time now for our monthly segment on entrepreneurship. Hi, I'm Kathleen Gallagher. Kathleen is the executive director of the Milwaukee Institute, and I'm Tim Keene. Tim is founder and director of Golden Angel Investors, and this is How Did You Do That?, a show about successful entrepreneurs and how and why they succeeded. We went around pitching kind of the idea, and it was pretty, sounded like a pretty crazy idea in the moment. I mean, this is when the App Store first showed up on iPhones and, and smartphones, you know, were just starting to take off. And, and, and the fact that games were running on these things was, was not known that that was going to be a tens of billions of dollar market. When Google and Microsoft came calling with the type of jobs many young computer engineering graduates look for, Justin Beck turned them down. The 2009 graduate of UW-Madison wanted to stay in town and build the gaming studio he'd launched with his partner, Andrew Hansen. Their first effort, a Pokemon Go-type video game, was about 10 years too early. But Justin and his partner went on to create Parallel Kingdom, a mobile, location-based, massively multiplayer game that put players in a virtual world on top of the real world. In 2016, they sold another new game, Dragon Soul, to Gree Entertainment of Japan for about $35 million. The company today employs more than 50 developers in Madison and publishes, among other titles, Disney Heroes Battle Mode under a partnership with the Mega Entertainment Company. Justin, welcome to How Did You Do That? Thank you. Hey, Justin, what made you turn down those jobs at Google and Microsoft? Why were you so interested in staying in Madison? Well, to be honest, when, when someone hands you an offer and it's your first full-time offer out of college and it's a six-figure number and, and you, you come from humble roots, it's actually not that easy to just be like, hmm. But when they say, hey, you need to let us know in two weeks and you're in the middle of trying to build a, a company and, and trying to get a project off the ground on the floor, it, it actually the answer came pretty simply. And it was like, well, you'll probably be able to hire me after this fails. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we want to hear about how it didn't fail, right? <laughs> that, is, that is how, uh, yeah, we were fortunate in that way. You started the studio in your college apartment, then moved yourselves in the studio to a house on the west side of Madison. How did that work out? Well, we were trying to save some money. So we stayed in apartments and rentals for as long as we could. And uh, it actually worked out okay until in that house we got evicted. So we made one slight decision that was wrong, and that was actually to rent a house that was in a retirement community. And it turned out that everyone was watching us walk with our lunchboxes to work in the morning, and uh, we, we soon got evicted. And it, it was a very peaceful process, and we, we got our first office space right around then. That's hysterical. Um, you know, I, I love when I can turn the questions on Tim. And Tim, I want to ask you, uh, because I know you were an investor in Justin's company, this was about the time you met Justin. Did you see, did you know about the eviction process? What was your impression of him? Well, those are two separate questions, I suppose. Um, I met Justin, I don't remember the month, but he showed up and said, I have this great idea for this game. And um, here's how it works. And I said, do you have any revenue? And he said, well, no. And I said, well, why don't you come back when you do, expecting that that would be the last time I'd ever see him. And he was back, oh, I don't know, three months later saying, I think we have 600,000 customers and they're all paying us something. And we were selling, you know, digital hats and stuff. It was uh, fairly cool. And were you um, surprised by that, that he came back? Does that happen a lot? 
I think that entrepreneurs that can say this is what we're going to do and then do it are uh, in the minority, which doesn't say anything about their ability to do what they're talking about, but more about their inexperience in the sales and development process and how long it really takes. So I was I was pretty impressed. We did have the discussion about the apartment, however, and <laughs> how I thought that perhaps having 10 or 12 people working in a one-bedroom apartment might not be the world's best idea. <laughs> but but, but saved, he knew what he was doing. We he, saved a little cash. He saved a lot of money. <laughs> right. Well, Justin, maybe that leads to, do you want to talk about how Perbulu was funded? Did it start with Tim or how did you? Yeah. When we were initially like still in school, you know, we had very little money and uh, we went around pitching kind of the idea, and it was it sounded like a pretty crazy idea in the moment. I mean, this is when the App Store first showed up on on iPhones and, and smartphones. You know, was just starting to take off, and 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 the fact that games were running on these things was was not known that that was going to be a tens of billions of dollar market. And um, yeah, and like when we um, first started it, you know, we needed to keep the servers on, so we had a family and friends round of you know a few tens of thousands of dollars that. You know, now as you go back and ask them, they, they basically said, well, this was kind of like a donation. It's kind of how they viewed it, that friends and family money. But, um, but after we started getting the revenue model working and we, you know, came, you know, came back to Tim, I remember the, the, I think the second meeting we had where I was like, hey, like I shared some data tables. I was like, hey, here's our users. Here's the maybe even just some light cost of acquisition of customers there. And here's the revenue that they're paying us. We had some revenue coming in the door, and then the the Golden Angels led a round that was eight hundred thousand dollars, which was our first real equity round. And just to tie that story all together with that apartment, yeah, we still were in the apartment. We, you know, we moved into that West Side house after that round, and so yeah, we. It's funny we we're you know a venture backed company with you know a, almost you know a million dollars in the bank, and and yeah, we're sitting in this like really crappy apartment, and um, yeah, I don't regret that like. We eventually got a nice office space. I just want to jump back to something you said. Um, when when you were developing your first game, it was a mobile game that was really new at the time. How did you how did you know to that that was where games were going and that you wanted to develop it? That was one of the bets that we made that I think was was right on point. I think you know when we saw the smartphones and and what was happening with like GPS location, the screen, the touch the touch interface. We were like, what the the main question was like, let's build some games for these things, and th- that turned out to be the, uh, a very true trend. That, it, it, by the way, is still developing. I mean, the the mobile entertainment market is still growing twenty percent year over year in developed markets, and even more than that in 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 lesser developed markets. Um, so that that trend was one of the things where you know I think we were very fortunate to pick. Um, something, but in the moment, you know, we, it just seemed kind of goofy. Like, you know, yeah, games for smartphones. It's like, well, aren't there a lot of other applications people care about more in the beginning? Uh, so, uh, Per Blue is like a movie studio in a way. You live or die on the strength of the product that you put out, and you know pretty quickly how it's going to work. So, where does all of that come from? How do you find the inspiration or the ideas or the content to really be successful? Yeah, so each game we make is it is a content business, but it's also a service business, and I think that's one of the things that makes games fun to work on, but also just a really fascinating business. Uh, where do the ideas come from, and also how do we validate them? So the ideas, we it's a collaborative process within the team where we mix art, vision with design ideas, mixed with fantasy and story, 
and ultimately a set of mechanics that we think are going to be very easy to be digested on, on a mobile experience. And then we, we work the design process to turn that into a product and, and, and build it out. Um, there's a lot of art. There's a lot of engineering in, in our development process. But then, like you were saying, like validating them and getting to market, that's really more of a data thing for us. So we launch our games in test markets. We capture data on how our users are playing the products. And then we use that data to evaluate whether that product is going to ultimately succeed in the market. And that's, that's a very critical part of our process. What was the genesis for you? Do you come at it as a computer engineer or do you play games? What got you there to begin with? Yeah, I mean, I, kind of both, right? I mean, I, I think in my like childhood, I, I played a lot of games and had a, a certain fascination to games, as, as I think many, many youth do in, in our current generation of technology. But I was a software engineer, I think, first and foremost, and I liked building software. And in, in particular, one of the challenges when Perbu was starting was I wanted to productize my, like, contribution. Like, like it's one thing to be writing code and consult and do something like that, but I was really interested in making a product that we could build once and sell it a million times. And I think Perblue's construction is kind of that on, you know, now steroids where, you know, we sell our product, you know, tens of millions of times and we've sold, you know, many products over the last decade. Um, so that's, that's, that's been fun. So how do you manage growth as this company grows? I mean, Madison, Wisconsin isn't known as the gaming engineering center of America, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Madison has been a, a great home. Two big staples of that, I think. One is, you know, the engineering talent and the Midwestern work ethic has, has been a phenomenal place to, to build out product. I think on the gaming side, yeah, like the gaming hubs – continue to ebb and flow through the it's an international marketplace. And I think ultimately as we've grown, you know, we still recruit about 50% of our talent, but 50% of our talent is what I'll call like locally sourced. And then in the culture, you know, one of the things about operating live games as a service is that we found that our culture is one of the most important things for really onboarding talent. And so, you know, in general, and this is how it's kind of started from the beginning and it's still true today, like we hire really smart people who are really passionate about running entertainment services or, or, or making art or understanding data or building product that's, that's really accessible. And we put them together in a team and that's where the magic happens. And, and the way you put them together in the team and the way the magic happens pretty much allows you to have the pick of the crop for talent in Madison, would you say? I think talent acquisition now is a lot easier than it has been in the past. And I think the reason that's not to say it's not hard, it still is always hard for any growing business to have the right team working on the right problems. But I think what's, what's advantageous is like when you have a, a culture kind of initially built and you've got a great team with great attitudes and great experience, it, it makes it a much more appealing place for top-notch talent that wants to grow and be mentored and and to, to exist and, and prosper. And I think th that has been one of the most satisfying things to watch as we've gone from, you know, you know, seven people in a college dorm room or whatever it was to, to you know, to 60 people now. It's, it's, it's watching the, the talent and team work together of all the different experience levels. So, Justin, you've told us you're 32. You started this when you were 22. How do you manage that growth from a dorm, from a college apartment to what you are now? You're leading this thing. How how do you do that at your age without the experience that a lot of CEOs have? Yeah. So on one hand, 
ignorance is a powerful tool. And I think shaping that ignorance is, is valuable, right? If you, if you know what you, you know, don't know, you, you could do things differently, right? So I think that that's, that's one piece. I, I, I think the second piece is I think it's very important to not let yourself get in the way of your business. And obviously, every individual has talents and personality traits, and we all have quirks, we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses. I think it's been to staff around weaknesses, and it's really to take your personal strengths and, and to dive deep. But, but to be honest, I think one challenge with any you know, young founder or young CEO is realizing when you're getting in the way of your own progress and really trying to figure out how you're going to staff with you know, mentorship, staff with people around you or team to to ultimately push through those boundaries. And I, I think that's kind of the, the main the main piece. So tell us about the sale to Gree and what you might have learned from that process and if you have any tips. Oh, lots to learn from any, uh, any sale and uh, any, um, any merger deal or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, I think the first, the first and foremost, I think, it's a truly educational process, you know, and I think, um, you know, going back to the question about like, you know, a CEO and, and learning when you're in your own company, it, it's, it's tough to forge your way ahead and take on a big deal like that without mentorship at the board and advisor level. So, but I, I think some of the main big takeaways there is I think um, exits are hard. I think for any any startup getting uh, a deal done, and I think where I'm the probably the most proud of that deal is we found a win-win for the buyer and the, and and us that ultimately allowed us to keep the team, keep the studio, keep making new games, but then ultimately provide you know our investors um, some liquidation, provided the team some relaxation as as we were running that really high revenue stream. It would have prevented us from making a lot of new games in the upcoming years at the size we were. Justin, I just want to clarify, you said it's hard to do without mentors and advisors. What you were saying is that you had good mentors and advisors through that process, right? Absolutely. I think in the last 10 years, I've had uh, a wealth of mentors and advisors where I've been standing on, on their shoulders. And I think that's the, that's the real answer to the question is how does, how does any young person or, or I think young, young is kind of irrelevant, irrelevant. I think inexperienced is more relevant. Any inexperienced person, the best way is to take their own strengths, but then fundamentally try to take the inspiration and counsel of people around them to build on top of. And and that's how you become go from inexperienced to being very experienced very quickly and not have to be paying, paying the way in every mistake. So I got to ask, you know, given all that experience you now have, what makes a good game? And, you know, that is that's, that's a tough question, right? I think... What what makes a great game is is having a, a a product that that pulls in an audience that that audience is like oh this is fun like I want to keep playing this but then the real test is that that person who's just picking up and playing it also wants to continue to play it a few months later a few years later and they turn it into a hobby, right? I think like fundamentally you know people think oh mobile games whiz bang it's kind of but that's that's really not what we're doing we're 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 we provide a, plat- uh, a hobby platform for people to get together in the community, to participate in, to be able to invest in for a multi-year thing. And, you know, we as a company are happy when our players are happy for a long period of time playing our products. So, Justin, you've gotten per blue to near 60 employees. You've got great revenue. You've got a game with Disney. What are your ambitions going forward? Yeah, I mean, so for us, you know, we want to continue to build the best 
entertainment products on mobile that we can. And I think we have a real nice focus inside RPGs. And so our, our kind of right now, we want to be one of the best, we want to be the best, you know, RPG studio in North America is our, our ambition right now. I think as far as, you know, doing that, it's like we got a lot more product coming in the market, but it's really about keeping the teams humming. And RPG is a role-playing game. Yep. The best role-playing game uh, studio in the market. Yep. That's our that's our goal. But I think in any entrepreneurial ecosystem, the markets are constantly evolving. And I think if people think of games like games now are so different than what games were even when, you know, we think of uh, in the basement of playing on the computer, like mobile games are just a totally different format. And I think that format is continuing to change. And what I truly get get excited about is how do how do you provide you know entertainment ex- experiences and community you know on mobile devices where people can play them where where they're at. Well, Justin, you've got a long career road ahead of you, so we're going to have fun watching how you shape it. Thanks so much for visiting with Thanks. us today. Thank you for having me. You can read more about this story and find links to resources by visiting wuwm.com. And listen to all our podcasts at WUWM at the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts.